You are listening to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien. In healthcare, we have so many questions about what's trending versus what's actually the truth. So on this show, we're going to get to the bottom of it. It's health, it's wellness, it's beauty, explained by the people who actually know what they're talking about. Welcome back to the Dabble Co. Podcast. We are here with Dr. Will. I'm going to make you say your own last name so that I don't <laughs> mispronounce it right off the bat. All right. So, the Gut Health MD. Yeah. Um, my last name, it's a, it's a long Polish last name. A lot of consonants, a lot of vowels. It's a little <laughs> bit intimidating. Um, we say it Bolsowitz. Okay. And I'll be honest with you. We have kind of messed up our own name. Okay. Because through the generations, like it was my my great grandparents that were the first generation to come across and it was more than a hundred years ago. And so we have, we have like sort of, you know, turned this into an English word. Like how do you read that last name? So mm-hmm. we say it Bolsowitz. Okay. All right. The problem is if you go to Poland, it just sounds better. It rolls off the tongue. Bolshevitz. Bolshevitz. It's like so easy. Bolshevitz. That is um, nice. I like so that. anyway, everyone calls me Dr. B. Dr. B. Yeah. That's how you're affectionately known. I feel like in the in the community. So Dr. B is a gastroenterologist, but also a gut health expert, which I feel like is such an amazing combo. You do such a good job of bringing together Western traditional medicine with all the holistic parts that people really want to know about. You do such a good job of that. And I think that's why people love you and love listening to you because you're you're doing the balance that we all need to be working on. So I'm glad you're here. Um, tell us just a little bit about your background. We don't need to, you don't have to go into your biography unless you want to. But. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the the bottom line is that I, I kind of feel like really when you just boil it down, the fact is this, I'm doing what I feel like I was put on this planet to do. Totally. And so I it started as a boy, like, you know, a teenage boy being like, I want to heal people. I want to take care of people and help them. Mm-hmm. Um, it was never financially motivated. I would have been a banker. I have friends who are bankers and like they make literally no exaggeration, seven figures and they travel the world and they've been doing that since their twenties. Okay. Medicine, I'm over here grinding. Not so <laughs> much. Know? Right. Right. Not so much over here. I'm just deeply in debt and I'm driving, you know, a minivan. <laughs> but, um, uh, anyway, you know, I just, I feel like I'm, I'm doing what I was supposed to do. And I feel like that commitment to my patients and to humans, like just, just, just wanting to heal and help people. That commitment is what drives me in everything that I do, all of my endeavors. Um, and it's what drove me, you know, through 16 years of medical training. It's what pushed me to like basically give up my nights, my weekends to get extra training and research and, um, and then, you know, now I'm in this place where it would be much easier for me to just kind of treat this as an eight to five job. It would be so much easier if I could do that. Right. And the problem is I can't turn it off. Yeah. You know, I go home at night and I think about that patient who asked me a question. And if I didn't have a great answer to that question, I got to find a great answer. Yeah. So, and then I dig into the research. And so all of that sort of has led me to this place where I am today, but really I feel like the game changing thing for me is I became sick. Like I had to be the person who struggled with it. I'm compa- I have compassion for my patients, 
There's no question about that. But what happened to me was I was 10 years younger. I was 30. And I felt like I was 60. And I'd gained 50 pounds compared to where I was in high school, which is a huge deal for a guy who thinks of himself as an athlete. Right. And high blood pressure, high anxiety, low energy, low self-esteem. And I, and I couldn't figure out a way out of it. And it's like, you know, look, I'm a doctor. I'm a normal guy too. And I am prone to some of the same or like all of the same mistakes that any other human being is. And I didn't know how to fix those problems. Mm-hmm. And it had to be me coming to the realization that it was the stuff that I wasn't taught in my medical training. Like nutrition. Which is diet. Yeah. And lifestyle. That's the stuff that I was ignoring because I was just like, look, I'm a medical resident. Like I work 80 hours a week. My job is to show up, kick butt in the hospital, go home, barely sleep, not eat well. That's what you do. Yeah. Right. And I, and so I had to realize and learn that that was the problem. And when I realized and learned that, and you personally experience 50 pounds of weight loss, and blood pressure goes away and anxiety gets lifted. Is that when you became plant-based or what, what, what did you do then to lose that 50 pounds? Just start paying attention to it or you went, is that when you went fully plant-based? No, I mean, or? I was paying attention to it and I am extremely, I, I guess one of the things about me is I'm extremely capable when I have a goal of Very just goal grinding yeah. and working and working. And so um, I tried to out-exercise it because mm-hmm. I'm a guy. So it's like, I don't want to change the way I eat. I love this food. I like a Philly cheesesteak from Jersey Mike's. That's what I want to eat. Right. And so I I went to the gym six days a week uh, and like 30 to 45 minutes of heavy, of heavy lifting. And then if it was the winter, I would jump on the treadmill for five to 10 K. And if it was the summer, I would jump in the pool for a hundred laps. And despite doing that, like I could put on muscle mass, I couldn't lose weight. Right. I couldn't lose weight. I still was hovering up there, you know. 40 to 50 pounds above my high school weight. And what changed is actually I met my my wife mm-hmm. who is a native Smoke Charlestonian. Show, by the way. <laughs> she is a native Charlestonian and we would this is when we were just starting the date and we'd go on a date and like you know I mean for me it was like okay is it the ribeye or the pork chop what am I going to get? Mm-hmm. And she would be like go to the waiter and be like you know I know this is not on the menu but can I just have the chef put together like a bunch of plants, mm-hmm. like take the sides and just make it look nice. And so she would eat a plateful of plants and she could eat without restriction. She could eat just like, I mean, she was like, you know, crushing this food and she looked amazing. She controlled her weight and it really opened my mind. Like, Hmm, I've never been around someone like this before. Right. So I started with I, I, the first like baby step, that moment where it kind of changed for me. Instead of going to Hardee's and <laughs> Hardee's, gross. Yeah, I can't it is gross. Hardee's uh, because I just didn't care. Ugh. And I went. You know, normally I would get like a double cheeseburger, and they had this like five dollar bag deal where it was like a double cheeseburger and a chili cheese dog and fries and I'm, a dessert. I'm judging like right now. There is judgment shooting from my eyes into yours. It's like three thousand five hundred calories that I just described. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's literally two days worth of food in one meal. Ugh. And um, so one day I decided, you know what? I, I'm just gonna like try this, and I didn't even tell her. We were just starting the date. We were just going to know each other. So I didn't even tell her, but I went home and I got out the blender 
Threw in some bananas, some greens, some mm-hmm. berries, some flax. Buzz that sucker up, like 35 ounces, like multiple cups. And it filled me up. I felt good. I was energized. Mm-hmm. I did not have a hangover. And I was ready to go to the gym an hour later. Yeah. Like I felt great. And that like immediate return brought me back for day two. And then it started to build momentum from there. And next thing I know, like my hair is changing. It's getting thicker. My skin is changing. It's glowing a little bit. Your hair. All right. You yeah. do have very nice hair right now. It's COVID-19 I mean, not, not hair. It's like a helmet. Oh. <laughs> you can like flip me over and what, mop the floor with my head. Does that mean you're not washing head. it? I don't understand. No, I wash <laughs> it, but mean? no, it's just like... Because you need a haircut? I, I okay. I, I'm like a guy who's like two seconds away from going to Target and buying buzzers, like buying clippers. Oh, and just I like don't support it that. Yeah, no, that's. that's I don't want to do it. I don't no. want to do it. My book's coming out, and like I don't want to look like a doofus with so, a shaved head. You met so your book. How do you go from Hardee's in a bag to and you met your wife? Like what? what I mean, how was that transition? I know. I mean, it's been ten years, but. Was it just slowly learning or did you just say, I got to dive in and I'm, I must master this? So you did a, let me also back up for people who don't realize a lot of physicians do their residency training. And then you said you did a research year. Um, or s- all right, gosh. Okay. People. So first of all, you're judging me. I know. I'm um, sorry. second of I'm all, very judgmental. <laughs> second of all, you're about to think I'm the biggest nerd ever. So here we go. But um, that's why we love you. <laughs> nerds. So yeah, I'm so nerdy. I'm so nerdy. Um, but people want, people need to understand how well you understand research and how you train yourself. Right. Cause I feel like the internet jockeys that say I've done my own research don't even realize that that's like what, what people like you have done to understand research. Yeah. So the story is this, I'll try to move through this as quickly as I can. It's really <laughs> nerdy. So basically 2006, I go to Northwestern for my internal medicine residency in Uh Chicago. Mm -hmm. Um, There are 60 people in my class. I win intern of the year. Like Mm -hmm. I am, I get this highest award. When you get this, basically they turn around and they start kind of offering, like doors start opening. So they say to me, we want you to be chief resident. Will you do it? I was like, yeah. So you did that. So that's an extra year. That's an extra year. And then they said, oh, and we we actually want to pay for you to get a degree from Northwestern. You're going to get a master's of clinical investigation and we will pay for it. Oh gosh, the nerdery. And so but they, I love it. they actually picked up the tab, like literally everything, including the cost of my books. I paid, I didn't pay a dollar for a degree from Northwestern and I took night classes and I did that. Um, I did that during my third year of residency. Like I would be like on call in the ICU going crazy, pulling my hair out. And then I would run over to the classroom at night and take my classes and then run back to the hospital and keep taking call. So, um, that was my third year of residency. And then during my chief residency. So I came out of my residency, you know, I went in just expecting to become an internal medicine doctor and I came out an internal medicine doctor who was chief resident and who had a master's degree in clinical research. And, um, so I went to, at that point in my life, I thought I was going to like literally be, uh, like a, a cancer epidemiologist. Like I actually thought of myself as a cancer epidemiologist. Really? Yeah. And so I went to the university of North Carolina because they had this unique program that only three, three institutions in the entire country had Mm -hmm. where it, it combined GI, my specialty with 
epidemiology at the School of Public Health. And the UNC School of Public Health, many people don't realize that's like actually one of their proudest institutions in the entire campus at the University of North Carolina. It's, it's ranked number two in the United States, tied with Harvard. Mm-hmm. Basically, Hopkins, Harvard, awesome. and, UNC and UNC are the top three um, every year. And so, so I went to UNC and I did like pure epidemiology. I was not in the hospital at all for a period of time. Straight epidemiology, During publishing your papers. Fellowship. During my fellowship. Okay. And then and then I jumped back into the hospital and I did my clinical training. So basically I was I was trained, my mentors were some of the most famous GI doctors in the country or in the world. And they were training me to be one of them. They wanted me to step in their into their footsteps and basically rise up and, and like, you know, be at the podium at the GI meetings. Right. And so so I was like, I mean, publishing papers like crazy, 20 plus papers, 40 plus presentations, national meetings presented at like literally the biggest meeting on the biggest stage. I mean, they get 8,000 applications and then I was considered one of the top 10. So it was crazy. And, um, but it was really hard for me because I loved patients. Yeah. And so this success and what my mentors wanted for me was pulling me away from what my true passion was, which was just people. Right. So I had to make a hard choice because you can't have it both ways. You got to pick. Yeah. And so for me, I had to make a hard choice and tell my mentors, look, like, I thank you. I want to take care of people. But I want to take care of people and I need to leave. Which those people are in their own way taking care of people, not to, you know, say that they're not because they're, you know, we still need the research and those papers and all, but they're not interacting with people on a clinical level. They do like a half a day a week, a clinic. Right. So they're not doing a lot. It's, right. it's quite limited, you know? And so, so for me, I knew I wouldn't be happy with only a half a day a week of clinic. Like in the lab all the time. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. just like cranking out, you know, papers all day. So, so anyway, that's what led me, you know, out of academia and into practice. And the irony is, the funny thing is, like, now here we are. And, you know, I really didn't expect this. It was really hard. It was a, it was a really tough pill for me to swallow, I'll be totally honest, because this was 2014. Mm-hmm. Because I had put, like, literally thousands of hours into this training. Right. And I was basically and saying, I'm out. Like yeah. I was basically like, you know, I got nothing for it. But don't you think that's prepared you? So you have a book coming out and there's, I, there's this big, you know, push kind of in the nutrition world that like, well, doctors didn't get any training, you know, in medical school for nutrition and why should they be able to talk about it? And it's like, well, because just because you didn't get that in medical school doesn't mean that you don't have a master's in clinical science and did your chief intern in another research year during fellowship. So you know how to research, right? I mean, how would you, does that make sense? I don't know what other training I could possibly have to know how to research better. Right. Honestly. I mean, <laughs> right. No, that's the truth. I, mean, I know. Um, I feel like there's a foundational element that needs to be there for nutritional training. Yeah. The, I think from my perspective, you know, um, I am, I'm an internal medicine doctor. I'm still board certified in that. I'm a gastroenterologist. I have like all of the classes from medical school and to extend beyond that and pick up and learn nutrition is, is actually not, it doesn't require a huge leap to get there right? because you already have like, you know, essentially 85% of the foundation already established. Right. And you just need to establish the rest. Basic physiology and things like that. All of that's already taken care right. of, right? right? So you just need to get into the nutritional element to start to really understand what it's all about. So what did you do? At what point 
did you decide you, I have to know all of this? Like I must incorporate this into my practice, into the way I care for patients. So the, so the story kind of went like this. I mean, you were kind of alluded to this before. I didn't, this was never a cannonball into the pool. This Mm -hmm. was me putting my toe in and then my ankle and then my, you know, my shin. Like I was easing into this lifestyle Mm -hmm. and, but I was yielding huge results. And simultaneously, so now, you know, I've, I've completed my training. I'm out in practice, taking care of patients. I actually was in Savannah, Georgia for two years. Mm-hmm. And patients come and they ask me questions. Doc, what should I eat for my IBS? Doc, what's the best diet if you have Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis? Right? And so I start fielding these questions. And I feel like maybe other doctors, maybe they deflect them or dismiss those questions. For sure. Right? Yeah. For me, that is like, like I said, this is deeply personal. Like being a doctor is deeply personal to me. This is not about getting the patient out of the way so I can move on with my day. Right. Right. This is about providing them with the highest quality care that I can. So when they ask me those questions, it drives me home to find answers. And so, so I start looking into it and start studying and finding these things and seeing how it correlates with my own life and my own experience mm-hmm. and looking at these studies and seeing like I did not think that there would be much research to support a plant-based diet. I really didn't think there would be. I hadn't heard anything about it. How is it possible? Yeah. And then I go and I look and there's like literally thousands of studies, literally thousands of studies. It's just not part of medical education. Yeah. So yeah, so I dig into that and, you know, and basically you just start snowballing where it's like you're learning stuff. It's working in your life. Now you have that knowledge. You can't go backwards and just ignore what you've learned well you can I mean you can but you could but then you're then you're ignoring what's best for your patient right, right. and if what right. you believe is that the if you start to discover that at the root of their issue lies diet and lifestyle mm-hmm. which is i mean if you know the facts it's hard to deny right we think that genetics only account for 20 percent of disease right so 80 percent of whether or not you develop disease during your lifetime is just is determined by diet and lifestyle or like your environment Risk factors. Your risk factors, yeah. right? But like that's that's predominantly the three pounds of food that you put into your mouth and swallow every day. Yeah. Right? It's not like, you know, the fact that you live in Charleston by itself. Yeah. Right? So, you know, so the more that you learn, the more that you feel like, oh my gosh, like this is the root of the problem. And I have been trained in a way to cover it up with pills and procedures. Right. And those things, there's a, pla- there's a place for those things. So let's not ignore them. Right. Let's not ignore 21st century healthcare. If I get sick, I want 21st century healthcare. Right. But we need to look for ways to identify the root of the problem and fix it because otherwise we're not really fixing the problem. Why do you think it's so hard to do that in across the board in medicine? I I think it's time, but I'm interested to see what why do you think it's so hard for everybody? Like why isn't every gastroenterologist telling their patients what to, what they sh- would like to see them eating. Because these are complex things. Patients want to know, but the, number one, the doctor is not right. trained. Right. So they don't feel comfortable necessarily talking about it. Number two, the doctor is a human being too, right? So does the is the doctor comfortable advising the patient on a diet that they don't personally follow themselves? Right. I mean, it's a little bit hard on the ego to say, hey, this is the ideal way, way to eat and then to be sneaking home and eating some other way. Yeah, your hearties in the car. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, you know, so I think that that's part of the issue. And then um, the third thing is the financials. Mm-hmm. Doctors are not paid to have these conversations. There's no way like when I have this conversation, I know I know it's going to take me 15 minutes. Right. I know that. And many doctors will look at that and say, 
I could see another patient. Right. And generate twice as much revenue. Right. So why would I do that? Right. And I think a lot of it, quite honestly, goes back to also, it's the evolution of the modern American healthcare system. All nations have a healthcare system that started in a certain place. There was a moment in time where things changed Mm -hmm. and created what you see today in 2020. What is the story for the American healthcare system? Here's how it goes. We come back from World War II. We, for the first time, got exposed to penicillin. Go, holy crap. We can fix everything. This is so powerful. Right. We can fix stuff with pills. We can prevent infections. We can save lives with a pill. Right. So we start doubling down on this and you see drug development take off through the 70s, 80s, 90s. And you see these amazing, amazing things happen. And for that period of time, like it's easy for us to be like not that interested or not that excited about pills. But back then, that was like extremely exciting. Oh, it's the biggest discovery in medicine as we know it, penicillin. I mean... Penicillin is the is is, is the thing that single handedly added the most years to our life expectancy. Right. So yeah. So basically, we doubled and tripled down on these ideas, pills, and procedures because that's what development looked like, right? Yeah. And in the process, we lost sight of the importance of diet and lifestyle. We just kind of lost sight because it's not as acutely powerful. When a person's acutely ill, sometimes they need pills and procedures. But when right. you're talking about prevention, when you're talking about chronic care. The most powerful thing is actually the day-to-day life. And I think it's, you know, people, it, it's really easy to put on us as providers. Well, why didn't you recommend this, this, and this? You know, you get beat down. I mean, when you say, say you see 30 patients a day and you tell all 30 of them, I would love for you to do this diet and, you know, lose 15 pounds. I think this will really help you. And 27 of them are like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Or can you just, but I, I need to be better like next week, not right. today. So it, it's, it's a lot of work for the patient, yeah. you know, to, to change, totally change their lifestyle. It's expensive. It's different. It's hard, harder for some people. I mean, we know that we're, we know that we're in a, you know, white Mount Pleasant, upper middle class, whatever you want to call it, that we have all these resources. And so not perfect. Not perfect. We both. If you don't know where we live, we live in a town called Mount Pleasant and it is, it's lovely, but it's very, um, it's a bubble, you know? So I think patients get beat down on the outside and then we get beat down as providers. Like, well, I'm just, I mean, I can't recommend this anymore to people who don't want to hear it. Right. Do you hear, I mean, people probably know that they're going to hear that when they come to see you, but how often do you hear from patients just like, man, Put me on some Zantac. I don't want to lose 15 pounds. Sometimes I do hear that. Um, I think that the thing from my perspective is this. I have learned through the years that you got to meet the patient where they are. Mm-hmm. So I have a diet that works for me. I'm on I'm on a 100% whole food plant-based diet and it works for me and I am thriving. I feel like I'm younger at 40 than I was at 30. Yeah. Um, but I also recognize that the average American diet right now is literally 10% plant-based. Right. It's 60% processed food. It's 30% meat, dairy, and eggs, and 10% plants. So you can't sit there and look a person in the eye in a 15-minute visit and say, you need to be 100% whole food plant-based, and then not give them a path from 10% to 100%. That that just is never going to work. So to me, it's always about trying to meet people where they are. And that's what my book is really truly about. I actually got a message from someone today. They're like, 
I want to read your book. Like I really do, but <laughs> I'm worried because I am not willing to give up meat, dairy, and fish. I was like, you should read my book. You should read my book because honestly, sure. you, you're going to find things that are going to tr- transform your life. And the point from my perspective is if you don't want to give those things up, don't give them up. Right. Right. But you can change your health. There are things that you will find in this book that will transform your health. And I really, truly believe that that person, when they read my book, is going to start down this path that I lay out in front of them and they're going to feel so much better. Right. That they're going to actually start to taper down on these things that they say they don't want to give up. And maybe they don't give up 100%. That's up to you. Right. I'm not trying to make every single person 100%. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to lead you to a better place. That's the bottom line. I mean, I'll just tell you just from personal experience. So Ed and I, my husband is Ed and we've kind of like, sometimes we'll go vegan for a few months and then we'll come, you know, we were kind of all over the place. We're not really a thing. And, but both of our kids just cannot have dairy. I mean, it is a disaster and it's hard for all of our family members to understand that. But anyway, so, but I love pizza with like a burning passion deep within my soul. And I'm sorry, but the dairy free cheese is just not the same. And we know that, you know, it's just not the same, but it feels like too. So the less dairy, we don't have it in our house, but occasionally we'll like go out and get some. And I, in the moment it feels incredible. And the next day I feel effing terrible. I mean, truly I'm like, I don't have stomach issues until that next day. And like, wow, I haven't had a migraine in a really long time, but Here's another, I mean, it's a food hangover. It's, it is. Yeah. I mean, you feel terrible, truly terrible, but, um, okay. I want to transition a little bit and talk about poop because Let's do it. this is apparently a subject. I, I can't, it's hard for me to sympathize because let's just, I'm very regular guys. I just am. Maybe it's the plants. I don't know. I do. We, I do, do I do eat. I feel like each meal, just kind of my goal, and we you said this the first time we had lunch, and I was like, okay, thank you. Honestly, my goal is just to eat as many fruits and vegetables as I can, and sometimes there's meat with that, but not always. I don't know. I don't really have like a diet. I'm not a thing. I right. just that's how I eat. Yeah, intuitive. Anyway, I'm very regular. I just thought I'd tell you that. But thanks for that. Apparently, a lot of people are not. Yeah. So I get asked a lot about poop and women just want to poop every day. And so, yeah, I didn't realize they do. Yeah. Well, I mean, not that we poop ever. Yeah. I I didn't think, but it must actually be like flowers. In theory, let's just hypothetically, if women pretend wanted to, if they were that kind of woman, right. What would you, if you, this person came in and just said, I'm just super constipated. What am I supposed to do? Yeah. So it's, it's actually Carter, Sarah, are you listening? (laughs) No, no HIPAA violations here, but, um, (laughs) so the, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like this in my my world, it feels like everyone is constipated. I see it all day, every day. And so, um, and I'm so comfortable talking about poop because this is what I do for a living. Everybody. I mean, come on, like, let's, yeah. What you're not hiding from anybody. No, you're not. Let's just, let's just get it out there. So constipation, it's amazing what it can do to a person. I mean, it actually is. It, it continues to blow my mind. I've seen people who present to the emergency room who think that they have a surgical issue. Right. And they're just literally and they're just constipated. Like impacted. They are completely backed up and their colon is spasming and they think that they need their gallbladder or their like appendix out. It feels like you're being out. stabbed, right? I mean... It, it can be insane. Yeah. And also the number one cause of gas and bloating, there's a ton of people who are like, gas and bloating, like how do I get rid of it? The number one cause of gas and bloating that I come across is constipation. 
And there's this sort of vicious cycle that exists that is interesting, but not in a fun way. It's <laughs> kind of scary. True. So, um, when you get constipated, okay. you produce more gas. Right. Okay. Right. They have these studies where they infuse gas. Why is gas. that? Because there's just more poop in there trying to break down? And that's what, what's... I think what it is is that it's... So, first of all, poop. Like, what is poop? Poop, believe yes. it or not... <laughs> let's what? get back this to the... So let's exciting. get Let's go to the ethereal basics here. Um, what is poop? So, believe it or not, poop is not just like the excrement from your food. Okay. Believe it or not, the majority of your poop, more than 60%, is actually your microbiome. All right. It's actually your microbiome. So your your bowel movement is a reflection of your microbiome, okay. which is why I actually personally believe that our poop, like how healthy our poop is, should be a vital sign because basically it would give you insights or it does give you insights into the health of your microbiome. Okay. And we all agree that, or at least I think that most scientists and doctors at this point recognize that the gut microbiome is critically important to human health. Okay. There are going to be people who are listening or like, they keep saying microbiome and I don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Really give your elevator pitch on what is a gut microbiome. We as humans, you know, us big, strong humans don't realize that we have these microscopic living things that are a part of us. They are covering us from the top of our head down to the tip of our toes in our mouth in a woman's vagina. And they're mostly located inside your large intestine, which is also called the colon. So we call this your gut microbiome. They are invisible. You can't see them, but they are as alive as you and I are. And the number of them is absurd. There's 39 trillion, 39 trillion. So that is like basically take the number of stars in the sky um, the entire galaxy, all of the Milky Way, and multiply that by 100. And that's what you have living inside you right now. That many living bacteria, a lot. fungi, archaea, um, sometimes parasites, protozoa, and, some, and, and certainly viruses. And so they live and there. And that's okay. People think that it's not okay to have bacteria or viruses or things like that living on you. We want to be sterile all the time, but that's not tr- accurate. Like it's... No, the pendulum swinging the other way. Lovely. The pendulum swinging the other way, which is you you want actually there there is a place for us to not be hyper sterile. Yes. That the idea of hyper sterility is potentially contributing to the explosion of autoimmune disease that we're seeing, you know, throughout the United States. We can't handle. We're so sterile that we can't even handle being exposed to bacteria and viruses anymore. Well, there's that, right? Allergens. There's that, and also it's jacking up our immune system. Yeah. So 70% of our immune system lives in our gut. I mean, if you were to like zoom in on the gut and with a, with a microscope, you would zoom in and what you would see is you would see literally a single layer of cells so fine that you can't see it with the naked eye. And on one side is 70% of the immune system. And on the other side is literally 39 trillion microbes. And they're all right there, and they're talking to each other. You can't separate them. And when you damage one, you damage the other one. So, like, if you take autoimmune disease, celiac, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, any of them, literally any of them, when we study them, and I verified this for my book because I wanted to make sure I was right to put it in writing, Mm -hmm. every single one of them, if you study them, you find that there's damage to the gut microbiome. Every single autoimmune disease is associated with alteration and damage to the gut microbiome. So that's how critically important these bacteria are for the immune system. Now, that's just one example. Um, It affects our metabolism. All right. I don't know if you ever heard about this. This is kind of crazy, kind of almost sci-fi, but this is actually completely true. 
they did this one study where they took identical human twins. Okay. So they have the same genetics, Mm -hmm. but one is obese and one is skinny. And they took poop from these humans and they put it into mice. I'm glad we're going to circle back around to poop. Yes. I feel like we got to, we don't want to get away from that. And so they put it into mice. They put in the mice and they fed the mice the exact same diet, same number of calories. We've always been told calories in, calories out. It's not true. So they fed these two mice the same thing. The, the mouse that got the obese microbiome became obese. The mouse that got the skinny micro, mi- microbiome became skinny when they were fed the exact same food. That's wild. So it affects our metabolism. It affects our hormones. It affects our brain and our cognition, our mood. And it even affects our expression of genetics. So anyway, coming back to the gut, to the poop. Our poop reflects this, okay. the health of this, everything that we've just described. And it's so critically important. When it comes to constipation, people with constipation will often present with gas and bloating, nausea, acid reflux, Mm -hmm. abdominal pain. And when I hear a person come through the doors and they say those things, gas, bloating, nausea, abdominal pain, reflux, I'm like, you're constipated. And they look at me and they go, but doc, I poop every day. And this yeah. is a conversation I have every single day because you can poop every day, but if you're not really fully emptying, you're still constipated. You're still constipated. Mm-hmm. If you have incomplete emptying, then you're still constipated. And then sometimes they go, but doc, I'm having diarrhea. Ah. And I go, okay, let's get a CAT scan. So you get a CAT scan and you see that they are completely constipated, like massively backed up. And what's happening there is that they actually have what's called overflow diarrhea which basically means that their constipation is so severe that it's impacted like a log jam for lack of a better It's like if a pipe was clogged, but there was still water like trickling around it coming out of the sink. Exactly. Yes. So the solid stuff backs up, but the liquid sneaks through. So you are actually constipated, but the liquid is sneaking through. Hmm. So it comes down your bottom and then you have watery diarrhea and you think I'm I'm having diarrhea. So then these people take Imodium. Imodium to like basically stop (gasps) diarrhea and that makes them worse. And they don't, yeah. So, and the solution is so, um, well, because the solution is so paradoxical in a way, because basically you're, you know, the person's having diarrhea and I will say to them, I want you to flush out your colon. And they're like, absolutely And they're like, what are you talking about? Right. And so then that leads to, you know, a little conversation to explain it. But so how do you treat, what do you treat them? I mean, are are you like, you got to have a smoothie every day for breakfast or, I mean, what's just your general lifestyle tips for these folks? Um, so the important thing with the person who's constipated, so I am like probably the biggest believer in Charleston in diet and lifestyle for health. Mm -hmm. And, but a person who is constipated, you need to get them into a rhythm. Okay. So I will not sit there and be like, Hey, you should go plant-based when they're super backed up and constipated because that person, what ends up happening? Probably couldn't handle it at that point. They get, they, they can't tolerate the fiber. Right. And they start getting so gassy and bloated and then they quit and they say, plant-based is not for me. I'm never going to try that Because they felt worse ultimately. Because they felt worse. Right. So you got to get their bowels going. What do you use? Do you use like Metamucil or like a... Depends. So it depends a little bit. And, you know, so obviously also like disclaimer, if you're listening at home, obviously... This is not medical advice. This is not medical (laughs) advice. Like you don't just do this. You, You should talk to your doctor about this, but... Many times what I'll do is I'll start with a bottle of magnesium citrate, mm-hmm. all right? And 
this, you know, 16 ounces of magnesium citrate will give them three, four solid bowel movements. You want to break it up the like backed up constipation. So get it going, get it out, clean it out, clean it out. And then once that's out, let's establish a rhythm. So we want something. I'm fascinated right now. Okay. Um, usually a combination of a prebiotic. So prebiotic fiber. Okay. So you could do Metamucil. I, I actually tend to like Benefiber. Okay. Benefiber, very readily available, completely plant-based, one ingredient. It's natural. Okay. And it feeds the gut microbiome. So if you feel like the root of the problem is damage to the gut, which I think it is mm-hmm. when it's constipation, if you feel like that's the root of the problem, then you got to feed the microbiome to get it stronger. And it needs fiber to be stronger. So you do Benefiber. And then you combine that with something to soften the stool. And many times magnesium before bedtime can accomplish that. Okay, cool. So like sometimes people go on calm, calm magnesium. Mm-hmm. Magnesium is really cool. I mean, it's really interesting because it helps with I anxiety. for migraines. Yeah. Helps with migraines, helps yeah. with anxiety, helps with sleep. Yeah. And so it's, that's why it's a great thing to oftentimes take in the evening. It's interesting because we're so over-supplemented, but we're, we're so over-supplemented with like the randomest shit where it's like... If you would, if we could hone in on what you actually want, what what do you actually have and having an issue with? There's some really amazing supplements, right? But we're just we're just taking it we're just taking everything. So I mean, first of all, I'm judging you because you just use profanity on the what? air. So sorry, mom. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, my issue is this: I'm not so I'm not like um, I'm not anti-supplement. Okay, sure. but but let's not pretend. Let's not pretend. I'll that, take like four supplements, but right. Specifically well, for what I need. Exactly. The the issue that I have is when you go and you end up, you know, someone gives you like 12 supplements at once and they're like, oh, here's, you know, your, your bag of supplements to take home with you. You're going to take all of these. And let's not pretend that that's different than taking medications. Sure. Right. Like the difference between medications and supplements, the difference between the two is it's that at least with medications, regulation. we have phase three clinical trials. Right. So we know exactly what the risks and the benefits are. Right. Whereas with supplements, it's like, oh, well, we don't know what the risks are, so we can pretend that they don't exist. They right. exist. There's right. just as many. Right. So and when you take 10, you know, I mean, honestly, anytime you get past three, if you get past three medications at once, your doctor has no clue what the interactions are. They have no clue. Right. They're just like, oh, you'd probably be okay. You yeah. know? So I think with supplements, it's like we've gone too far. Let's not pretend that we can take a C-minus gut and supplement it up to an A plus. You right, can't. Right. You if can't. you're that constipated, taking a probiotic is not a, like we're you're you've missed the forest for the trees. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, there can be benefits to probiotics, but I think people also should know when it comes to specifically to probiotics, is that there's more hype than science. So you know what what you see is you see a minimal amount of frankly pretty mediocre studies. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then the flip side is you see companies that are marketing the hell out of probiotics to basically get you to open up your wallet because guess what works marketing when you convince people that they need this, it works a heck of a lot more than publishing a study in some no name journal. Do you take a probiotic? No, you don't. I don't. Do you hear that? I could get them for free. Oh, sure. You so can, I'm, I'm not only for free, I'm sure a probiotic company would love to pay you to take their probiotics. So I don't No, I don't take a probiotic. I, but you drink what you're drinking kombucha. Sure. Right. Yeah, it's better. It's better than my diet Mountain Dew. Oh my God! I didn't even notice that. Well, you know, look, I'm going through a tough time right now. I need some (laughs) caffeine. (laughs) 
I'm shocked. Yeah. Frankly. Don't judge. Don't judge. You've done enough of that already. No, I had a Coke Zero for lunch and Chick-fil-A today. So. See, now you're writing yourself up. That's right. You were, you were, it's fine. You were it's the fine. queen up until a moment ago. No, but. no. It's, listen, there was a, I had a headache of, of Hardee's. When I worked nights, let me tell you something. Yeah. I would leave the VA hospital. Good old VA. Uh, and I, and the, that was back when Hardee's was it right there. That was it. And I would get, there was some like loaded biscuit omelet thing. I don't even know what was in there. And I mean, but also I was just trying not to fall asleep on the way home. Yeah. Man. No, I've had some Hardee's in yeah. my day. So uh, anyway, I, I, I personally feel like there's a hierarchy to this. And so, and you, you guys, if you, if you read my book, Fiber Field, you're going to see this because I have an entire chapter about prebiotics, probiotics, and most people don't know anything about postbiotics. Never heard of it. Postbiotics, that's where the money's at. What, what is that? Explain the entire, Okay, so... Postbiotics. Yes, postbiotics. The entire point of probiotics, the entire point of prebiotics is postbiotics, the entire point. So postbiotics are what are produced by your microbes. So okay. is that in your poop? Now I feel like we've... I'm it can be. confused, okay? It can be in so your poop. So how do you take a... Can you take a supplement of postbiotics? No. Or are you just saying this happens naturally? You got to feed the microbes. Okay. You got to feed the microbes. So basically when you take a prebiotic mm-hmm. and you give it to the right bacteria, which mm-hmm. those bacteria might be a part of the probiotic capsule that you take, okay. or ideally they're just a part of your gut. Okay. They're already there. Right. Right? And when you take a prebiotic and you feed that bacteria, here's what happens. This is what happens with fiber. This is why I, I love fiber. I'm obsessed with it. The name of his book is Fiber Fueled. So yeah. if you were confused about how much he loves fiber. Completely obsessed. <laughs> so, I, and I think it's incredibly sexy. And you can judge me if you want to for that. I'm standing by it. I think no, fiber is sexy. I, all right. Yeah. So, well, I mean, look, here's the thing. If you read the book, it's like you're going to be putting on the same glasses that I'm wearing. And you're going to look through the lens and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, it is it sexy. It is sexy. Dang. All right. Okay. Dang. So, um, all right. So fiber, fiber goes down. What's special about fiber is it goes down, passes through the small intestine, which is 15 feet long and it's untouched. It's the same as it was when it went in the mouth and it gets to the colon, the large intestine where the microbiome lives and they get into a feeding frenzy and they chew it. Yes. Because oh. this is their food. You're feeding them. Okay. So they need to eat just like we need to eat, right? If you don't eat, you starve, you get weaker, and then eventually you die. They're alive. And so so when you feed them, they get energized. They get stronger in the same way that we do when you feed us. And that's what they eat. They don't eat other stuff. So if you're giving it like a cheeseburger, it's not really interested in that. Different microbes eat different things. When you eat a cheeseburger, you're feeding the cheese and the red meat to the type of microbes that love to create inflammation. (gasps) Oh, gosh. So, and then the flip side is when you consume fiber, like there's a reason why um, plant-based diets are clean diets or anti-inflammatory. The reason why they're anti-inflammatory is because basically you're feeding the right bacteria that are anti-inflammatory in themselves. More than, and you're starving the other guys. And you're starving the other guys that want to create inflammation. So you're creating a healthier balance. What do you think is going to happen if we can hone in on... Do we, or maybe we know, and I just don't know this. Do we know specifically which ones create which? Like, are we going to be able to target certain, I mean, I guess we're kind of already doing So that. really tough to target. Okay. Here's, here's, here's actually the idea. Here's the idea. So, um, just to unpack this a little bit more, fiber hits the colon, mm-hmm. the microbes eat it, they get stronger, they multiply, and then they pay you back by releasing what's called short chain fatty acids. Okay. Short chain fatty acids reverse leaky gut. They travel through the bloodstream throughout the entire body, exerting their healing effects. They can improve and optimize the immune system. I have studies that show that fiber, high fiber diets, 
could protect us from respiratory viruses. Hmm. Maybe that's kind of important right now. Hmm. Um, They affect the immune system. They affect our metabolism. They affect our ability to process insulin, which is relevant to diabetes. Mm -hmm. They go to the heart. They prevent coronary artery disease. They go to the brain. They cross the blood-brain barrier. There's actually studies that show that they help us to focus, that they improve our mood, that they reverse Alzheimer's disease, that they break down the beta amyloid plaques that lead to Alzheimer's disease. These are healing and you get them from fiber. You can't get them from anywhere else. We can't make them into a supplement. You can't make them point. into a supplement. You can't get them from someplace else. Hmm. You get them when fiber meets microbes. Wow. And they're, called, and they're called short-chain fatty acids, but they are an example of postbiotics. They are produced by the bacteria, and they heal us. And so the reason why I had to call my book Fiber-Fueled is because 97% of Americans are not even are not even getting the minimal daily amount of fiber. Right, right. So only 3% of us are getting the actual amount of fiber that we need. Ideally, we would all get more. No matter, even the 3% would get more. I'm sure the RDA is lower than it actually should be. Should be. Yes. And so anyway, so you're, you're asking me, how do we target specific bacteria? Here's the way that it works. Fiber is not just fiber. We've been taught to believe that it's just count your grams of fiber and you're good, right? Like the fiber in a cereal is the same as the fiber in a bean. Not true. Right. There are millions, potentially billions of types of fiber in nature, each with its own biochemistry, each with its own health effects. When you eat a black bean, for example, there are certain specific populations of bacteria that will thrive because you're eating a black bean. Versus the fiber in like a Cheerio. Sure, exactly. But if you take that black bean away, that same pop, those same populations of bacteria that I just described that are Mm anti-inflammatory that give you short chain fatty acids, Mm -hmm. you take the black bean away, they're, they're starving. Mm -hmm. You're not feeding them. You're, they're starving those bacteria and they're, they're receding, they're growing weaker and they're dying. And at some point they just go away and they're gone. So the point is this. We want different types and varieties of food, which have different types and varieties of fiber to feed our gut microbes. Because when you eat a broad mix of variety of foods, different diversity of plants, Mm -hmm. you are feeding as many different types and varieties of bacteria as you possibly can. And all of this sounds great from an intuitive perspective, makes sense, but don't just trust me on this. Let's let the science do the talking. The biggest study to date, it's called the American Gut Project. It's actually an international study. Over 150 uh, countries are represented. The largest study to date to take a look and connect diet and lifestyle to the health of our microbiome found that there was a clear-cut number one thing associated with the most optimal gut microbiome, and that was the diversity Diversity of of plants in your diet. So, I mean, I would say, you would say the number one thing that people could do for probably their health in a general sense would be to diversify the amount of plants they're eating. You could be vegan. That's not as powerful as this. Right. You could be agnostic like you are. Mm-hmm. That, and this is an opportunity to add an extra health element to your diet. You could be paleo and you can modify paleo. And make it an incredibly healthy diet from my perspective. Right. By recognizing this. Diversity of plants. Yeah. I read one time, maybe you should shoot, I think maybe Angie or somebody posted it, 30 different plants per week. 
So that is actually taken from this study that, I, that I'm citing, okay. the American Gut Project. Uh-huh. And in the study, the number that they used was 30. So that was sort of the magic number. But just okay. know, from a uh, research perspective, going back to the nerd in me. Yes. Okay. The nerd is strong. Yeah. <laughs> going back to the nerd in me, it's not a magic number. But, you know, go, like a general, I mean. 30 is great. Shoot for 30. Per week, right. 30 per week is great. But the point is, why not more? Sure. And. That's actually not that hard. It's, I think it's, it seems really overwhelming for people who don't, you know, eat a ton of salads or drink a ton of smoothies. But, I mean, there's a smoothie that I make my children that they have no idea. There are like eight or nine different fruits and vegetables in there. Yeah. They don't know. Totally. Come on. So uh, I'll give you an example. Like, I mean, that's I think a it's a third that you need for the week. So, totally. Yeah. No, it's, it's incredibly easy. So we are a normal family, like everyone else, despite what you see on Instagram or like whatever photo I post of like makes it looks like we're eating gourmet plant-based dishes every night. They do look very good. Right. We're, we're a normal family and a normal meal for us can be spaghetti with tomato sauce. Right. Right. So we will get a organic whole wheat spaghetti and tomato sauce. That's two plants too. But it's so easy. Throw some onions, garlic, mushrooms, maybe some zucchini, maybe some kale. Blend it up. To, I mean, you've got little kids too. I'm like, the more blended the things are, which sounds, I mean, as much as I want to be in that school of thought of like, well, if I just give it to them, like then they'll eat it. So I make them try a lot of what we're eating, but ultimately like, I know if I just blend it up and they don't recognize it, they're going to eat it. They don't care. It's all about they want to be in charge of what they're eating. Totally. I Actually, one of the things that I found that works really well in our family is getting the kids involved in the cooking. To- yes. So totally. when they throw the stuff into the pot, then, then all of a sudden they want to be it. part of it. Yeah. 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 So, so anyway, if you like throw onions, garlic, you know, um, zucchini, mushrooms, kale, boom, that's five extra plants. Then, boom, smash some basil, some fresh parsley. Like, just next thing you know, you're herbs. up to ten. Right. Right. And then you're a third of the way through for the and week. And it's so easy and it tastes better. Right. And, your gut mi- and your gut microbes are like dancing it's the river happier. dance. Yeah. Hmm. So, I like that picture of them dancing the river dance. Yeah, everyone loves the river dance. Okay, leaky gut, really quick, you mentioned that. And I feel like the chiropractors have latched on to that and yeah. made it something that it's not. What is your take on leaky gut? Don't believe what you read on the internet. <laughs> That's my quick take. Am I allowed to go beyond that? Sure. Oh, okay, cool. Um, there's a, there's a real medical term for this okay, and it's called dysbiosis. Yes. All right. And dysbiosis, basically what you see in dysbiosis is three parts. Number one, there's been damage to the microbes. So if you were to look at the microbes, here's what you would find. You would find less good guys, meaning less of the anti-inflammatory microbes. You would see more bad guys, the inflammatory ones like E. coli, Shigella, Salmonella, Mm -hmm. and many times a loss of species. You're losing diversity. When this happens, it causes harm to the lining of the intestine. Okay. And this is part two of dysbiosis. Part two is that you basically cause harm to the lining of the intestine and you get what's called increased intestinal permeability, which means things can leak out. So people call it leaky gut. Mm-hmm. All right. Leaky gut is a term that people use. I would say dysbiosis. We're trying to talk about the same thing. Right. But the third part is when you get this increased intestinal permeability you get the release of what's called bacterial endotoxin. Bacterial endotoxin, if I were to use a word, it is, it is terrible. It's inflammation. Yeah. Okay. This is inflammation and it can be, you could have an overwhelming infection. These people who have an overwhelming COVID-19 infection, I guarantee you, if you checked their bacterial endotoxin levels, they would be skyrocketed through the roof Hmm. and it can lead to sepsis. 
It can lead to an overwhelming infection where you drop your blood pressure and you're confused and your heart can't pump properly. But it can also, bacterial endotoxin can be smoldering day to day. Hey, it's just a typical little Tuesday and I'm going to the Home Depot and Bed Bath and Beyond. Smoldering inflammation that can cause heart disease. Feel like crap all the time. Well, exactly. Feel like crap. And also it can lead to heart disease, Hmm. lead to cancer. Like the top killers. So where should where could people go for actual? Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a solution. Just reputable information on leaky gut, because that's what I mean. If you just Google leaky gut, like chiropractor.com is going to come up and be like, "Well, you also need an adjustment," which is not accurate. But I think I think I think it's a you're getting into a very very important broad conversation on misinformation. Yes. Which is what we're living through with COVID-19, but it's relevant to all of us in the era of the internet. Most of what you read on the internet is not good information. So here's what I would say. We need to identify the legitimate sources Mm -hmm. and then we need to lift them up. That's how you combat misinformation. So if you guys at home are listening to this podcast and you enjoy this podcast and you believe in what we're talking about, then you should share it. Right. That's that's literally all I'm trying to do. It's, it's, you know... When I, you posted something the other day and I reshared it and said, I think for a long time, um, physicians, medical providers have really just, I mean, I don't know that there has been really a place or they felt like there wasn't a place. And a lot of people just, you know, you're busy. I mean, who has time to also to do what you're doing? I mean, you're incredibly busy running a social media account, thankfully, that has incredible information. You're writing a book. You have an actual medical practice and a family. So... You know, I think a lot of providers just didn't have time or didn't make the time to do it. And now, thankfully, the pendulum is swinging with that, too. And But people need to know how to find these people. Because if you just go to Instagram, you're going to find a thousand more wellness influencers before you find Dabble or Dr. B or whatever, which is where we want people to go for actual information. And what really all mine is is just a resource for people to find other you know, medical providers. I mean, I'm not, we're not giving any medical info. We're just directing people where they need to go ultimately. Yeah. I mean, it's such a huge issue because sometimes people, Oh, this person's a doctor there and they must, they must be telling the truth. And it's like, well, hold up. Are they trying to sell you a supplement? Right. Right. What are they trying to sell you? Do they have an agenda? Some of these people, it's like very clear that they have an agenda and they, it's not, I want people to understand it's not hard for a doctor to reverse engineer the science to make it sound the way they want it to sound. Right. You can spin and twist. It's like politics. You can spin and twist your way to make anything sound However Republican or Democrat if you have an agenda. But what about the rest of us that just want honest information? Right. Right. So you got to find someone who's giving you honest information and who's willing to call it like it is. Right. Yeah. And, and admit when they're wrong. You know, I feel like if you're never admitting that you're wrong, then... I mean, it's just not reality. You know, none of us are right about everything. I mean, research is coming out all the time. Things change. The way we practice changes. Right. So. Well, the problem is what ends up happening is some people build their entire life around an idea. Right. So like for me, um, if you don't buy fiber fuels, okay, like that's up to you. I wrote the book so that I could heal you so that I could help you. This book is not changing whether or not my kids will go to college. Like. I have a full-time medical practice. Right. That's what I do for a living. And so I wrote this book really truly because I was passionate about the topic and wanted to help people. Right. Um, but there are plenty of people who like they're 
tied to the paleo movement and they just won't let it go. And, you know, I'll be honest, I probably frankly shouldn't be saying this on the air, but they, they won't have me on their show because, because (laughs) they don't want something that threatens the idea that makes them a living. Which is, you're not even anti paleo. No, I'm I mean, not anti-paleo, just... but if I'm moving, if I'm potentially moving the right. needle away from paleo, right. then that's a trend that they don't want to allow to start. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure the keto folks don't want you on there either. No, they don't. You won't, you, there are very few that you will see invite me on the show. I ask them, <laughs> I would like to come on your show and, um, you know, and it is what it is. Like it, yeah. it, it, you know, it's, there's tribalism and it is what it is. Do you know, do you know, of, uh, Danielle Bellardo, mm-hmm. the veggie MD, she did a, plant-based keto mm-hmm. for a little bit, which was fat, just as an experiment. Cause she, and, and what I loved, what I love about her too, she said in going into it, she was like, I'm, I have a bad attitude about this. I think keto is stupid. It's terrible for people, but all we've ever seen is meat based keto. And then coming out of it, she was like, I'm fascinated with my numbers. I had no idea it was going to come out like this. I'm really, you know, more, way more open to keto in general, just not, you know, the meat-based keto. So, I mean, but that's, that's the kind of person I feel like, okay, you want to be fought. Like that's reputable information for her to go into it knowing she doesn't want it to come out like this. And then it did. And yet she still shared the information with people. I loved that she did that. I think she's great. Yeah. And I think that there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different ways to approach diet that can be a healthy diet. There is no one size fits all for everyone. You know, my book is not meant to be one size fits all. It's meant to be like, there's a four week plan with more than 75 recipes Mm -hmm. and it's designed to be adaptable. Right. Right. So if you are someone like, look, I want to have some salmon on this dish, then do it. Throw some salmon on there. Then throw some salmon on it. Sure. Right. So yeah, I I guess the, uh, the bottom line is that we're all just trying to find our way, but we need to start to be better consumers of information. I would never go to a paralegal for legal advice. Right. And the cheap attorney who's like, you know, 50 bucks an hour, mm-hmm. probably not a great idea. Right. Because you get yourself into trouble when you get bad legal advice. Right. Your health is a precious commodity. Same. Yeah. And you should protect that commodity by making sure that you're sourcing the best information possible, even if it's not what you want to hear. Right. Honestly. Yeah. I love that. Well, I did just actually pre order your book on Amazon this morning. Hey. Because I didn't want to feel like I knew I was coming here. I was like, ooh, I got to get the book. Um, so bummer that your book tour is slightly derailed, but when any, I mean, gosh, I'm sure you have no clue when you're going to be able to get that going, but when is the book actually coming out? The book is actually coming out today, May 12th. I'm super excited. That Um, is very exciting. Can't wait. Can't wait to share with everyone. I think you guys are going to love it and I'm excited to see what people think. Like I'm, I'm excited to see what you think, honestly. I'm super pumped to read it. I mean, I, I, I do love fiber. That's the first thing I look at when I'm looking at labels. I do not care about the calories. Don't care. Do not care about the fat. Don't care. But I do care about the fiber. Yes. I don't even really care about the protein, but I do care about the fiber. Yeah. Well, we, we, we get so much protein. We, it's like coming out our ears. It's, it's crazy. too much. And yeah. we're all super hyper-focused on the protein and like, listen, you're going to be fine. But again, Carter and Sarah, are you listening? But you got to have the fiber. You got to have the fiber. I want to meet this mystery person. So I'll check. She sounds great. I'll check. I mean, I'm I'm going to do it. It's Sarah uh, at Sarah Loves Yoga, the chick who owns the works. Yeah. I feel like you probably have met her in real life. Maybe. 
it's one of the things we talk about mainly. Yeah. And I'm just trying to help her. She's also one of my good friends. Oh. So I feel like I can we love her. acknowledge her publicly and her struggles. And they're real. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> she's talked about it. Because we were talking about celery juice and like where, you know, the medical medium and where all that came from. Anyway. Who, who needs science when you can ask spirit? Right? I mean, come That's on. It's, it's like. It just seems obvious. It's above. It's, it's, it's a layer above science. It's like science. We're all trying to interpret what's actually happening on the planet. Um, whereas like spirit just tells you, right. I mean, it just seems like easier, you know? Yeah. And it's not, it's listen, celery juice is not going to hurt you. It'll hurt your wallet. <laughs> That's I mean, fact. it could be like four bucks a day. Strong facts. Yeah. And if you're buying it like at a restaurant, it will cost you, my God, I don't even, I can't even imagine. I don't know. I think it's like $10 for celery juice. Yeah. Bless it. Millennials put it back in your wallet. I'm a millennial, so technically. I I'm think you close. are too, right? I'm real close. I'm real close. I have a lot of millennial tendencies. Very close. I am like, um, I'm off by two years. Yeah. And so I have a lot of millennial tendencies, but not completely. Not there's fully. Some things, yeah. Yeah. There's, part, there's parts of me that are like an old man who wants to you know, <laughs> sit in front of the television and watch ABC. I'm d- Dateline, you know? that's all I want to watch. Just murder shows. Oh, Dateline when the guy busts the pervs. That's my favorite. Chris Harrison. But yes. then what happened to him? Didn't he send... Something happened with him that was shady where it was not... Was he a perv himself? I feel that like that's really the direction that it went. That's true. Yeah, something like that. He's not on the networks anymore. Oh, my goodness. Oh, man. Well, I don't want to take up any of your time. I am so thankful that you agreed to do this. Thank you for talking. Um, I am so excited to read your book. I really am. So pre-ordered. Hope I'll get it. But for anybody, if you didn't pre-order it, order it today. And um, Blue you Bicycle, know, by the way. Blue Bicycle. Let's keep... Um, Bookstores. Uh, let's keep bookstores open. So, you know, you can In order Charleston. from Amazon if you want to. But the issue is that um, after COVID-19 is over, I want to be able to actually go on a rainy day and flip through books and have a cup of coffee. Yeah. So we Blue Bicycle them. downtown. If you've got a local bookstore, hopefully they'll have it. Yeah. Um, if you like, Dr. B touched on this and, I, you know, I couldn't agree more. If you liked this show, if you liked this episode with actual information Um, from actual medical professionals, please rate, subscribe, share it with your friends. We've got to give people with the correct information a voice. Um, The nerds, lift up the nerds. Give them a, give us a star and a rating. All right, and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks. Thanks.